0: restaurant unstoppable episode 602 with jeffrey yabro
1: don't let failure freeze you if you get your ass kicked roll your sleeves up change what you were doing and get back at it
0: are you ready for it It factors success stories failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatori in and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. Bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Rebel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Rebel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Rebel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystemscom slash Unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Jeffrey Yarbrough. Jeffrey, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: I am. I'm here. I'm ready.
0: (laughs) Yes, let's do this then. Dallas, Texas native Jeffrey Yarbrough has never been a great student, but from a young age, he's always been able to hustle as an entrepreneur. His mother, seeing his creativity and entrepreneurial spirit, connected him with a job in New York City in marketing. It was in New York City where he fell in love with networking and paying attention to the social scene. In 1990, Yarbrough headed back to Texas to try his hand as a restaurateur and has never looked back back. Today, Yarborough runs Bars Restaurants, a PR media company, and now has a thriving restaurant, real estate business, operating under the Big Inc. brand. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I cannot wait to dive into your story. I know it's a good one, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us?
1: I think today my mantra is uh, PG-13, but it's going to be, let's get shit done. (laughs)
0: Let's get shit done.
1: GSD.
0: (laughs) How does that resonate with you?
1: Well, I think what's going on in the market today with restaurants is there is a lot of the staff and management that is a little bit lackadaisical because we're so short, especially in Texas, on workers, that you can kind of sit back and not have to roll your sleeves up as hard as you are to get a job. But to get the job done, you better be able to put your nose to the grindstone and GSD.
0: Yes. Great way to get this thing started. So bring us to where it all started for you. Tell us about your come up. How did you get into the industry? I mean, you kind of took a while to get into this industry, but tell us about kind of how you came to become the man you are today.
1: Well, as a little boy, I used to go out and pick peaches and plums at my granny's orchard, and I'd come back to my house in a little suburban town, Hearst, Texas, and I'd go door to door, and I would sell peaches and plums for a dollar a can. Nice. So I was this little skinny redheaded thing, and going up and down my streets every weekend that I'd come back, and I'd come back to my dad, and I'd have a wad of singles, and you know, I could just see how proud he was of me. And my mother just shaking her head, you know, thinking, okay, he's been gone for two hours. And he, she said, no, he was out front. I just saw him picking more out of the basket. And then I'd go back out again. I'd sell him one can at a time. What?
0: Where was this coming from? Did somebody give you the idea or are you like, I'm just going to go make money? Why, what was? Where was this uh, desire to have money
1: coming from? I just, it, it was natural. <laughs> it was just in me. And it it was, my father was a traveling salesman, so I never really thought about sales being a thing. It's just I knew that if I had money in my hand, I could get stuff. So it was this exchange that I learned early on that money was almost freedom. It it allowed me to execute things that I wanted to do. Mm. And even little, whether it was going to the, uh, the candy store and getting sacks of candy well if i had a dollar bill i could buy a lot of sacks of candy in my day
0: yeah in, in my research you had a few entrepreneurial ventures going as a young man uh
1: i did my my my, <laughs> my second my second one was i bought and sold bicycles on every weekend on the, on my corner where i lived how old were you at this point i was 12 okay so I would buy old bicycles that might be broken down or someone had outgrown or their kids had gone off to college, and I would clean them up and I would sell them on my on my street corner. And I did that for years. And then my third one was um, I was teaching tennis. I was a junior tennis player, high school and then on to college. But I was a junior tennis player, and I found that I could string tennis rackets and make money at night. And my first real venture was a, a guy had gone out of business, and I bought his entire inventory from his store, and I brought it home to my house and sold it out of my garage. And one of the pieces of equipment was a racket restring machine. Did, did you have
0: to borrow money from anybody anybody to buy all this inventory, so, or was it all yours? It's a
1: real interesting story on the on the debt. So I'm not a debt guy. Okay. Debt is and we'll get into that at some point in this interview but I'm not a fan of debt but my first business venture my father loaned me a thousand dollars to buy this pro shop that had gone out of business all the inventory and the deal he made with me was you pay it back in 11 months a hundred dollars a month and I'm like well, that's pretty high interest. He said, "Take it or leave it." <laughs> and so that's what it was. I took out my first loan for a1,000 bucks and tripled my money within, within four months. So wow.
0: Awesome. Uh, one thing I've noticed and you can't help but notice, that people that really seemed to thrive in the restaurant industry were people who also really did not thrive within the, the traditional public school system, did not do good in school. Why do you think that is?
1: You know, it's it's interesting. I was, I always struggled at school because I would rather talk to the teacher. I'd rather talk to my classmates, and sitting down and reading a book or being quiet and while she's on the blackboard, it was uh, it was very difficult for me. I can and relate. to that. I assume today uh, there would be all kinds of medicines and therapies they could have done on me back then. I can
0: relate to that too. <laughs> it, it, it,
1: it was not an option for me back then. So, uh it was school was always a challenge, but my mom and dad was just it was kind of a thing that hey, you're going to be the first person in our family to ever go to college and it's just what you're going to do.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's important to talk about this because I think that we were learning so much about humans and uh, different types of humans, different types of intelligence, uh, social versus emotional versus tech, like uh, IQ versus EQ, if you know what I'm saying. Right. And we don't pay enough attention to the EQ thing. Like, listening to your story really reminds me a lot of my come up uh, when I was young. Like, I, I, I could not pay attention. The first thing I learned how to do was read a clock. So I would know when it was recess time. That's and right. I know when it was lunch. No time. lunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I could socialize. Uh, and I didn't know a lot about what we were studying, but I knew every social situation in that classroom: who was friends with who, who was mad at who, Absolutely. and like that is intelligence. And we have to, we cannot smug that. Like we have to pay attention to that. And there, I don't know what we got to do in the future to like pay attention to. Well, I think the kids part like of what's the
1: challenge is with that we're medicating a lot of kids so they can compete. From a scholastic standpoint, but what we're doing is we're, we may be killing a whole we're section of, yeah. of our salespeople and entrepreneurs and marketers and people that need to talk and communicate. Exactly. Versus just being super zoned on learning geometry. Not that that's a bad thing, but... It's not the, for everyone. The, it's not Right. It's not for everyone. And just because I got to get my kid into college and if he doesn't make an A on this, he can't get into college. Well... I think at some point we're gonna and the restaurant industry is probably one of those places where those folks have a chance to really succeed yeah that without a college education uh, they can thrive
0: well because it comes down to work ethic and your and, ability to manage relationships that's right? right
1: and that relationship may be fast food that, that takes two minutes or it may be fine dining that's an hour and 25 minutes mm-hmm. but you got to be able to manage that relationship while you're in front of those people. And most of those kids with that kind of anxiety, ADD-ish world, they just thrive for those few minutes that they're with somebody.
0: Exactly. Awesome. So your mom sees something special in you. She sees your creative side. She sees your hustling side. She decides to uh, put you in a direction. Is that, is, is that kind of what it, happened?
1: It was, an, it was an accident. Okay. at It was an accident that I ended up going into fashion, into the fashion world, into publishing. I was a tennis pro uh, going into college, teaching tennis. A Rainy Sunday afternoon, she, I get a phone call from her, and she said, Hey, there's this guy that will pay you 100 bucks if you'll come up and hand out magazines for the rest of the day. I'm like, "Ah, Mom, you know, I really want to chill out with my buddies. And she said, well, Let me add a part of this story here. Your booth will be next door to 19 penthouse playmates. Where they do
0: are I there? go? Where do I sign up? And I said, I'm
1: on my way. <laughs>
0: yeah, awesome. And so
1: I go to the Dallas Apparel Mart. I hand out magazines, literally standing next to 19 penthouse playmates.
0: How many magazines did you end up handing out? <laughs> <laughs> the whole stack, oh, right. as fast as I could. <laughs> then ended up
1: uh, selling. The guy said, hey, sell subscriptions to this. If someone comes up, you know, have them fill this out and you know, take the 20 bucks. I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, the girl said, hey, do you want to go drink with us? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> this is a, a chance of a lifetime. And I wish we had cell phones back then because I would have been taking pictures Good, the thanks, whole time. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> and, I, and my mom, same thing, said, are you going to dinner? I said, yeah, I'm going to drinks with these girls. And I hand this guy that I was working for, Doug Castler, I hand him this stack of magazine subscriptions. And I said, hey, I need my 100 bucks." He said, well, did you sell some? I said, I sold all of them. And he said, what do you mean you sold all of them? I said, dude, are you going to pay me my 100 bucks?" Because now I think, oh, this guy from New York City is going to cheat me out of my yeah. money. And I got all these broads I want to go hang out with. <laughs> so he says, I, I've never sold that many in a whole show. And I'm like, okay, sir, I really need my money because the girls are leaving and I want to go with them. <laughs> yeah. He said, will you come back tomorrow? And I said, I have school. He said, what time do you get out of school? I said, noon. He said, I'll pay you 100 bucks. Come as soon as you get out of school. Still so pay me another hundred bucks. Come work half a day, and I get to be next to them again. He said, "Same spot, same thing." <laughs> I'm like I'm in. Well, I end up meeting a uh, who turns out to be sort of my first publishing mentor, Rabbi Lady Olivia Thompson. Uh, she came by the show and she said, "Hey Tex, I understand you're a hell of a salesman." And I said, "Well, I understand. I'm in the best spot of the world right here."
0: <laughs> so I'm curious. I mean, maybe there's a lesson here. What was your What was your approach? What was your technique? How did you sell all these uh, magazine subscriptions so well, quickly?
1: So I would just people would walk up and say, "Hey, do you uh, can I get a subscription to this?" I didn't even really know anything about the about the magazine because I was purely there thinking I was supposed to hand out a magazine to everybody who walked by, like a. Perfume person at the at the store. She sprays you. Well, when you walk by, I just handed you this magazine. Well, it was a trade show, so it was business. It was business owners, so it was a B two B situation, not a consumer situation. And they needed this as a tool to go back to their stores as as a resource. Well, so they're coming by because they need it. And I would just visit with them and talk to them, and you know, where's your store, and you know, what do you guys sell, and I was just shooting the shit getting to know them. Yeah. I mean, that's all I was doing. Oh, I mean, that's what a good salesman does. They develop a relationship. They develop trust, right? Right. And I think that was happening with me early on. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
0: Uh, do, you, do you think it makes sense to spend more time here? Is there any other lesson? No. Or we I, go think, we're I okay, think we're good. Okay, cool. So you were just starting to talk about uh, your next – you're moving forward, uh, and I, I pulled you back. What was your next train of thought?
1: That, well, my next train of thought was um, as I went into this trade show world, you've got to remember, I was, a col- I was in college. In Texas. And now there's this New York company that's wanting to use me. And I've never really traveled anywhere. So I'm, I'm a I'm a suburban kid, and that's kind of my world. New York City had gotten snowed in. This lady calls me and said, Is there any way you can go to Phoenix and set up this show for us? Because we can't get there. Okay. And I'm like, um, I guess. Are you going to pay me? Said, Absolutely. Absolutely. Pay you a thousand dollars, like you'll pay me a thousand dollars to go to Phoenix. They so said, "Can you do it?" I said, "Let me call you back."
0: I'm assuming you're in college. At I'm in. Call- I'm a okay. freshman in college.
1: Okay. I go to my father and my mother, and I said, "You remember those that guy you introduced me to? The lady wants me to go and do a trade show, at, because they're snowed in in New York City, and they can't get there, and they have got to have this stuff set up." And I didn't know how to make an airline ticket. I, I didn't know how to pack a bag. And I go. I pack my bag and I fly to Phoenix, Arizona, and find my way to the convention center in the back dock. And you know, I'm walking around the back dock, going, "I'm looking for this stuff." And I really end up being friendly with the people on the back of the dock more than where I should have been up in the <laughs> up in the headquarters because yeah. these are there was a big company that they, yeah. that they were doing. But I'm just trying to facilitate what my boss had asked me to do, and that's go set up this trade show and make sure the magazines are out so all these business people can come by and see it. And from that point on, I was their guy. They were like, we want you to do this every chance you can. I'm like, I'm in school. I'm like, it's fine. What time do you get out on Fridays? Go to Atlanta. Go to Chicago. Everywhere. 18, 19 years old. Just still 18, getting ready to turn 19. Wow. And I'm working for a giant media company. It was Fairchild Publications, which ended up being Cap Cities ABC, which ended up being Disney. Wow. And the great thing for this ride of mine that I got to do, I got to get stock and incentives the whole way through, (laughs) which will come up later in our story. Yeah. So, uh,
0: well, what is the next – I mean – there's so much to cover and we need to eventually get onto
1: your to the your, restaurant world yeah, to
0: the restaurant world. what what makes the most sense to, to focus on before diving into coming back to texas and diving in as a restaurant I, I
1: think when i i ended up moving to new york city uh really right when i graduated from college because they wanted me at headquarters uh it was an old an old boys club uh irish men jewish women and they wanted new blood and so i went up there and i was the i was the golden who boy who was they they are the the publishers of women's wear daily okay. which was the, the head guys so women's wear daily is really the was in that day was the wall street journal of the retail world it was the bible to what anyone in the fashion business had to had to do or say they were, the, they were the people.
0: Okay, so any big lessons, any ways that uh, this experience or these
1: experiences really formed who you are today? Absolutely. What I found at, when I was in, in Manhattan and Los Angeles is that I love to entertain my clients. What I really like to do is find the coolest bars, the coolest clubs, the coolest restaurants, and that's where I found that I could connect with my potential advertiser my potential marketing person when i had them in a place of fun and kind of underground or hip and i was showing them this part of life and engaging them with one with me it wasn't like sitting at a boardroom trying to get in their pockets yes so i had a whole new there was a whole different vibe about me as a salesman i didn't sell in the boardroom, I sold at the bar in the bars mm-hmm.
0: so i'm curious what exactly was your job supposed to be at the same What was your title?
1: so my title at that point was i guess today you know it would be a marketing director so okay. i was a i sold advertising space in a fashion publication okay, so gotcha. my job was to get advertising dollars
0: so it sounds like your focus. I mean, you were trying to, you had to sell the ad space, but really, what you were doing is you were developing a relationship. You were, you were making it more about the relationship, the person, than the, the sale.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, you know, my clients were anyone from Donna Karen to Isaac Mizrahi. I mean, I, I had great fashion clients when they were really young. I mean, you got to think back this the early '80s, mm-hmm. and these were people that I grew up with in the industry before you know they became moguls and all this stuff so you know i was we were partying i mean i was partying with you know the germans when they got off the plane the models the supermodels they were just coming out they were broke girls just coming here to have a life in new york and i'm taking them to bars and clubs and feeding them and drinking them and introducing them to people being hospitable uh, I I was always <laughs> southern hospitality. Yeah. I mean, I'm a seventh generation Texan, so you know, it just
0: warmth, generosity, caring, you know, and, it, and and being there for people. And
1: I think I cut you short. You're a southern. Well, uh, I'm saying seventh generation Texan, and the southern hospitality went a long way in New York City. I would find myself in New York standing in a grocery store waiting for the cashier to say thank you when i gave her my money and i was holding up the line and i would look back at the line and people and they're like dude get out and move on move on I'm like <laughs> i'm not leaving till she says thank you <laughs> <laughs> i love it
0: so why you mean it sounds like you're on a perfect vertical like you're you're able to do your job well, and, and you're having success why get out of it what was the reason for getting out of this this line of work
1: so at that point we had uh the company, we'd bought a magazine out of los angeles called exposure magazine which was a super hip pop culture magazine that some buddies of mine had developed and started publishing and uh, we had bought it to help them really go national and with uh, the nea and stuff that was going on politically we had a lot of freedom on what we wanted to put in the magazine and we had an uh, issue where we put helmet Lang on the cover with his bullwhip story and that image and it threw the it threw the leaders over the edge, and they're like, you know, we don't want to be part of this. This isn't what we want to talk about. This isn't the style that we want, even though it was totally cutting edge and it was what it was what was going on in popular yeah. culture. Uh, they said, go go shut it down and fire everybody. And with that, I knew at that point that I was not a corporate guy. I knew that I was not in control of my own destiny, even though I had a ton of freedom of what I thought was free, but I was really just being cash whipped. It, I was just, I was there with all this financial freedom, but really no creative freedom mm. to run a business the way I wanted yeah. to run it.
0: You know, and it's funny because I tend to lean towards the independent sector as far as what the, the perfect picture of business looks like because of that part right there, because you need people to do business in, bigger corporations franchises or whatever uh in order for those things to work well you need people to, to fit into boxes right and right. people aren't meant to fit into boxes people are meant to be creative people are meant to contribute people are meant to feel like they matter and it's really hard to feel those ways when you're put into a box
1: well i didn't know i was in a box that was a problem <laughs> yeah, right and then it happened and i decided uh, i'd done a lot of promotions with uh, a fellow here in dallas in the nightclub business he had really gone into a neighborhood So, somebody
0: you met in new york
1: who i, was I met here. him here in texas originally oh, okay. and when i would come back to dallas i would do a ton of fashion shows and events and productions with him and i was really part of his team even though i didn't own the company and i'd called him one day when i was thinking about coming back to texas i said man i think i'm going to leave new york and i want to come back and open a restaurant he said man i'd love you as a partner uh, I've got this nightclub and it's this massive warehouse. Just come build your restaurant in the warehouse and I'll give you half my nightclub and you give me half your restaurant. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. He already has a liquor license. He already has HVAC. He already has a grease trap. All this stuff's already there. And I got to come in and just build my restaurant inside his building and it was, and we were ready to go.
0: I want to come back to this part of okay. story because this, is, this sounds like where it, you're, hospitality, food and beverage, bar, restaurants, where it took off. But before we get into that, any key mentors up to this point that really influenced who you are today as a man that are worth bringing to the surface before moving on?
1: I think my mentors hadn't really started yet because uh, Olivia Thompson and Georgie McKim, who were my mentors in the publishing world, uh, they didn't really affect me as a entrepreneur but what they did give me were basic business tools about how a company runs and how employees are up and down and thing and problems that you know, you have to deal with with unhappy clients so they definitely gave me business guidance but not really anything when it comes to hospitality. So what
0: are the most basic, basic tools that are most overlooked that you think you can bring to the surface to to help me and my listeners out?
1: I think the basic tool would be networking, that you want to make connections with other humans. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important? It goes back to get shit done. It's how we get shit done. It's through people. And when you have people that are happy to work with you that are motivated and compensated then they're more likely to support you and whether it's your vision your dream or your task at hand I love it and networking is you know it's for me it's the core of how I get stuff done what's one piece of
0: of advice on how to approach networking from somebody who's so so great at it
1: never be afraid to shake someone's hand and introduce yourself
0: what about, what kind of uh, mentality? Like, Is there like a mantra or a, a ritual you go through before meeting somebody or like a state of mind you're in when you're meeting somebody for the first time? Like, what are you thinking?
1: Well, it's interesting when, if you think about a tool like Myers-Briggs, you know, assessment tools on personality traits, uh, I'm a high extrovert. So I get energized from being around groups of people I don't get energized and recharged by reading a book or sitting in a bathtub. I get energized by going to a trade show or going to a bar. I get energized around people. So when I'm in those environments, I want to move and talk. And I am the king of handing out business cards. I hand out thousands of business cards a year. Mm -hmm. And today I know that I'm a dinosaur with it, but I still hand out business cards.
0: Beautiful. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs. And you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have hospitality online with Bento Box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to one thousand five hundred dollars on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back and you were just about getting into uh your venture into the food and beverage hospitality world and how that went down. So take it from there.
1: Sure. So I met a I like I said I'd met a guy named Jeff Swiney I'd done business with in the fashion world and I'd uh, done a lot of promotions, a lot of a lot of special events, fashion shows, and he'd asked me to come and be partners with him. So I left New York, came back to Texas, which made my mother very happy. And we started, uh, he had started in 1985, a concept called Club Clearview, which was an art, life in a warehouse kind of concept. Very avant-garde, very underground. Uh, bands, early on bands, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Ministry Soundgarden, that kind of live music, also recorded DJ stuff going on. And I really had a passion to entertain, so I had an idea for a bar and restaurant that I'd seen in New York City called Lucky Strike. It was a French-Italian bistro concept that had really hip music going on and laid-back kind of waiter service. I said, that's what I want to do. I want to take that to Dallas. I think Dallas will really like it. And so that's what I did. I came back. I built uh, this hip little uh, French-Italian bistro. Had a chef named Mark Schmidt, who was a big chef here in Dallas. We kicked it off. And Dallas, at best, thought it was mediocre. Hmm. They didn't understand why we were serving uh, crusty, rustic breads, with Dijon mustard instead of butter, (laughs) and they didn't understand why the raviolis were in broth, in brodo, instead of in red sauce, and the menu was a bomb. But the bar scene was huge. I had a DJ spinning 70s funk music that was on the floor of the restaurant, and there were models dancing, and it was just a huge party. So really, we just ended up turning it into a... The lesson learned there was if the food doesn't work, change it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And yeah, be, be willing and ready to adapt to what the people want. Like you might have an idea of what might work, but if it doesn't work, then don't wait for it to work. Like adapt, right?
1: Right. And I think one of my challenges in my career is I would want to introduce a concept or an idea to the market. And I was always in an early, early adapter on bringing something to the market. Sometimes the market's not ready for it, and you better be able to adjust quickly. And I think what happened with me in a lot of my parts of my career is I drove it a little too long. I should have jumped off the ship earlier and ran ran back to land.
0: So I'm curious, when you were getting into this partnership, you you mentioned already that somebody was here in Dallas who you had... Cross paths with in the past who had a piece of the operation or, or had their lane. What lane were you specifically? How are you coming in? What what were you going to? What so, was your contribution?
1: So my contribution was one bringing in the food part of his late night after hours business. Okay. So I was bringing in a full blown lunch dinner restaurant and bar scene. So
0: what experience did you have in New York aside from just getting a ton of experience in restaurants? I had no experience. Okay. So what made you good at it?
1: I think it goes back to networking. You know, I would find myself. I would. I was calling on to people that I'd come across in my career and saying, "Hey, don't you know the guy at uh, such and such restaurant?" And I, I would go meet with him. and Say, "Can you help me with this? How do you? How do you get the kitchen built? Mm. You know, where, where can I?" find equipment that's affordable and like oh i can buy used equipment i don't have to buy new equipment Mm -hmm. so i really did it by reaching out and just finding resources no
0: were you actually cooking the food yourself or were you finding people that no i
1: had a chef i had a chef cooking okay
0: got you so what was that relationship like with you and your chef you were going out there uh what exactly was your you were just kind of figuring it out and providing direction is that what it was well
1: so i so first of all i would say one thing I was good at is having a business plan. Okay. So I come in, I like order and structure. Got you. So I had a plan, and I knew that I needed a chef. I knew that I needed a bar manager. I knew that I needed a general manager, and I ha- I hired those people. So I, you've got you've to hire the right people. Okay, got you. So I hired the right people, I felt, and they executed to the best of what they could execute. Unfortunately, the market didn't like the food, and it wasn't anything with execution it was just market so you were with clearwater clearview sorry
0: club Clearview. thank you club clearview for uh from 1990 to 2003 and there was a few you had blind lemon the uh, art bar and uh, liberty noodle correct yeah
1: started we i came back to texas in late 1989 partnered with these with jeff and his name was also jeff and then we sold the company in 2007. Okay. So we had a long 20-year run. So that's, I had a really long run. That's a great run. But the Blind Lemon was my first restaurant. Okay. And that was the one that started out as a French-Italian bistro and ended up being a 1970s funk disco.
0: All under one brand? Or was that when you bought it? That was it? the
1: same place. <laughs> more from a restaurant to a disco. Wow. And I made more money as a disco than I did anything.
0: So take us through that, that evolution that, that morph that uh that I don't know it was it, was
1: it was trial and error. To some point, you, we tried one menu, then we would try. Then we went casual and said, "Well, let's just do pastas and pizzas." Well, that didn't really work. And what people wanted in that market, especially in Deep Ellum, was they wanted to come down at ten o'clock at night and they wanted to leave at two o'clock and they wanted to drink. Food was an afterthought. So the problem was, I have a passion for food. So I developed another concept later on in my career called Liberty Noodle and I I'd hired a this fantastic chef named Annie Wong who we co authored the Complete Idiot's Guide to Asian Cooking Together. And she has since passed, but Annie and I built these great pan Asian noodle restaurants called Liberty Noodle and where we took dishes, Americanized them by name, not by flavors, from Vietnam Thailand, China, Korea, India, big, beautiful bowls of noodles, and I paired them with great boutique wines. So, wines were a really big deal. So, it was anything but Chardonnay because Chardonnays didn't go so well. So, I was, I, we had a Wine Spectator Award of Excellence list for a 60 seat restaurant serving Asian noodles. I mean, it was something that we really worked hard to say. This is what you need to drink with this flavor profile. And if you if you really want a Chardonnay, that's great, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to taste this. I want you to taste this Pinot or I want to taste this Riesling. And then you tell me when you put that food in your mouth, which one you like best. 100% of the time, they went with our ours. Hey, keep the Chardonnay, drink it for <laughs> drink it for dessert. Enjoy the wine that we paired with you.
0: Beautiful. Um so I- I feel like when I'm speaking to people who we'll have such a breadth of experience, you've been in this industry, you're, you have so much success in so many different verticals. I feel like I just need to get out of your way and just ask you and just let you freestyle. It ain't all success. <laughs> it will, I mean, hopefully we get into some of the failures too. Yeah. We learn from those failures. In 20 years uh, with this restaurant group, or the Clearview uh, group, what were the things, what were the key lessons, like the key things you learned the hard way and the right way? Uh, just dive into just, just freestyle. The Go really
1: hard part was having a partner who came into the world that was purely nightclub and he was a great business person but very uh he was very creative we did not have the same ethics values morals uh when it came to business or life
0: and which business was like which this
1: was this was club clearview this was club clearview blind lemon art bar All of my restaurant nightclubs. Okay, so all of these, not just one of those. Not just one of those. So we really had, we were guys that did multi environment nightclubs really early on where you came into one giant building and you could walk from room to room. Okay. And you would be in a live music room, then you would be in a disco, then you would be in a blacklight DJ room. You, i misunderstood
0: i thought these were all separate concepts separate in different buildings these are all under one roof
1: under one giant roof that's and amazing one giant warehouse gotcha. and i would you know i would speak all over the country about doing multi-environment concepts that if you got a big building and you've and you're empty shrink the rooms and where it seems crowded and then open them up little by little
0: interesting i love that idea
1: um so was the noodle restaurant in this too? The, no, it was not. Okay. Liberty Noodle was came later on in my okay, career gotcha. after after my partnership uh, with Jeff had ended. Okay, uh, I expanded so, and so, started opening up other restaurants. Yeah, you
0: got into that. And I want to go deeper into it. Okay. You said that you needed uh, you needed clarity on, or you need to have a partner that has the same ethics, vision, all these things. So dive into what exactly was going on. Well, I on think
1: here. what happened there is that uh, he he was going one direction, I was going another, and we had hired a ex-restaurateur consultant named Matthew Mabel, who's got a great company called Surrender. Past Surin- guest on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Matthew's a great mentor of mine and a, has been a huge help in my career. And Matthew really helped me with putting the right people in the right seats on the bus. And unfortunately, it was getting my partner out of the system and out of my way. And so I bought my partner out, and he went on to a successful real estate career. And I continued on with the hospitality business and the restaurant business.
0: So knowing what you know today, if you could go back in time and go through that experience, you're coming to Texas, you're, you're going into this partnership, what would you have done in that situation to make sure you had the, the right partner, the right idea, the right plan, the right vision, all that stuff? How, what would well, you have done? I think, that, I
1: think that he was the right partner for me at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. It's just as I grew the company, uh, we, were growing, we were growing in different directions and in any relationship, Uh, when that happens you've got to decide what you're going to do with it and we had a very amicable breakup it was not a fight it wasn't anything it was like you're going one way brother i'm going the other and you know let's shake hands hug and move on and you know i paid him and We went on down the road. So So what things can you do to, um, I mean, people do change.
0: People are influenced. People transform over time. People go in different directions. I think
1: if you go in those different directions, what you've got to be prepared in advance, my advice would be that you've got an agreement with your partner that if something comes up, if something happens, how are we going to address it? How are we going to fight? How are we going to resolve the problems? How am I going to buy you out or how are you going to buy me out? Yes, and when those things are discussed in advance, while you're still in the honeymoon, it, it would have been a lot easier. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure I'm going to drop
0: another name on you that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, David Denny. Sure. Uh, who was a past guest on the show. Yeah. We, we go into partnerships, a deep dive conversation into partnerships. So if you guys are interested on that topic that Jeff just shared with us uh coordinating the 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 uh the partnership agreement do check out just search restaurant unstoppable david denny great stuff yeah there.
1: david denny has been my attorney for probably the past eight or nine years legit so. he's an awesome <laughs> dude. yes sir
0: uh, so any other key lessons in this 20 year uh, of operating this uh Clearview, uh i don't even what, what is the technical term for having multiple concepts so we just
1: called it multi-environment restaurant mm-hmm. uh, multi-environment bars okay well any other lessons from this experience I really think the partnership part is important, but operationally, I think what is key is if you are in a cutting-edge business, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over for a long time. When it came time for management, my management team really uh, lived longer in that job than they should have. They became uh, stale, where they didn't enjoy the music anymore, they didn't enjoy the customers anymore. And I hired a bunch of twenty-year-old kids to come run my company.
0: How do you hire? How do you know who to get on your team? I
1: rolled the dice. <laughs> I rolled. The, I told everybody to go home, and I started fresh. So did you
0: fire your staff? Your fired
1: team? the man. Fired the senior team. Hmm. Not cold, but said, "Hey, go find something else to do." Yeah, because you could just gave tell them that they lost, of t- Gave they them plenty the- of time. One of them became a super successful journalist in Los Angeles. Another one. Runs her own design company. I mean, everybody, everybody was fine. So you, I mean, I think that's one thing. I see this all the time. I think that your role as a restaurant operator
0: should be to push, your, your goal should be to push your people out of your business or to provide opportunity for them within your business. But if you don't have that opportunity for them and they hit a ceiling, then get them to the next level. It's right.
1: A- and sometimes getting them to get off the bus and switch cars is, is your job to help them succeed so in their lives.
0: You can see that they got stale.
1: They were completely stale,
0: and then you saw that you had to rejuvenate and refresh and re pump new energy yes. into your business.
1: Absolutely, got you.
0: What's the right way to, to go about doing that?
1: Transparent. Don't make it a secret. Yeah, you know, talk to your management team about it. Talk to your staff about it on why why things are happening. Uh, nobody likes to. Nobody likes those surprises. Mm-hmm. And I think that's only fair to everyone is to be transparent. Yeah. And you did start a, public, a PR company and, and a media
0: company. And you now your current role is real estate. And I want to get into that. Sure. Uh, so the,
1: the PR company was great. Uh, we were awesome at promotions and public relations, gigs, and, and marketing. Guerrilla marketing was the key for us. I mean, we were out on the streets doing grassroots marketing early, early on before it was even a thing. We'd go to other bars. One of my competitors down the street, he would see me out sometimes. He's like, Yarbrough, I can't believe it. You put more of those effing flyers in in, in the women's room. I'm like, well, dude, I know you're going to go to the men's room, so I put my flyers in the women's room because I know you're never going to check it there. <laughs> yeah,
0: <that's> smart. <laughs> so people say guerrilla marketing. We throw that term around a lot. What is guerrilla marketing to you?
1: It's really getting out in the streets and going into going into battle with – your competition and trying to fight for those customers to get them into your place.
0: Okay. So why, why PR company? What was going through your mind? Why why was that the next vertical for you?
1: I I was always looking for other ways to increase revenue. And while raising beer prices by a quarter is great. And that works a lot of times. uh, I wanted to find other ways to have, to bring value to my industry and to bring revenue to the company. And I had this team of marketing people in my office and they weren't super slammed busy. I felt they had bandwidth to do some other stuff. So I talked to them, I said, Hey, why don't we put together a side business where we go and and we have we sell these services that we do so well to other to our neighbors. And they're like, Hell yeah, let's do it. And, yeah. and we started
0: it. You're bringing up something that's super key right now. I think well, people get super tunnel vision when they get into the restaurant industry. They, they see one track. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get a job serving, bartending. Cooking. Uh, I'm cooking. I'm going to be the, the the you know the line cook, the sous chef, the executive chef. Then I'm opening my restaurant and that's all I'm going to do. It stops there. But there are so many verticals. There are so many things you need to be good at in this industry. And if you're good at PR or uh, I don't know, like cleaning beer lines. I've had some right. on the show that started their own draft cleaning systems. Like if you're, There's so many potential things so many verticals to do something better look at nick akonis and talk with the, the the reservation system right there are so many verticals so if you're good at something and you want to help other businesses be as good as you then get into another vertical with under that umbrella
1: i even tell my kid uh jackson who's at the university of north texas in the hospitality program and he has gone through uh, the pro start program with the texas restaurant association and through some of the school stuff And he's decided he doesn't want to be a chef. But he's at the university now and he's dad. You know, I don't want to be a chef. I'm like, cool. Do do hotel, do bar, do, you know, go and look at your classes and see what else you can do. You could be you could be a lawyer. You could be a designer. You could be an architect. There's so many other things you can do. You can come and do real restaurant real estate with me. You can go and work on the PR company with Mallory. There's so many things you can do in this industry to be part of the industry. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, it is truly mu- so multifaceted that if you have a skill set, there is a spot for you in the restaurant business. Absolutely.
0: That's why I love it. Uh, so I want to try to extract as many nuggets from you between now and when we go to the speed round right. on PR and real estate. Uh, where do you want to talk? What what really is like itching at you to bring to the surface right now? Is there like one thing that you think that you could bring to the the conversation one topic you could bring to the conversation to provide the most value for myself and my listeners
1: don't let failure freeze you if you get your ass kicked roll your sleeves up change what you were doing and get back at it.
0: That's right. We haven't gotten to many of your failures yet, have we? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to if you don't want to. <laughs> bring, bring one or two. Bring one that, that the one that really is uh, shouting at you in your head right now. Bring that one to the surface and dive into what happened and what you learned from
1: that. Well, I think that my, my biggest failure is staying on a deal too long, trying to make sure that I protect my partners. And we had a restaurant, uh, Liberty Noodle, downtown Houston, and unfortunately, uh, they had built a light rail. A train was coming right in front of us as we were starting construction, and we were unaware that they were going to build a train. Some people had failed to tell tell us about that, which I highly recommend you always use a real estate broker, a reputable real estate broker, to help you find sites so they can tell you these kind of things.
0: So wait, how does a real estate broker know that these types of... Is there like a checklist that they a should? Yeah, manager? they
1: should know what's going on in that community that there was a bond election coming up that, uh, that possibly this light rail could be passed and, you, and it's going to come right in front of your restaurant. So that would have been nice to Good know. to know. I wouldn't have gone there. And so the failure part, the part that's the painful is that while I wanted to wait until this train was being finished, I was continuing having to feed more capital into it. So I was going to my partners and saying, guys, you've got to pony up more money. We, we're going to we're gonna have to keep this thing open or we're going to lose it all. In hindsight, I should have thrown the keys back to the landlord and rolled and left. It would have saved my business. It would have saved my family's money. Uh, it would have saved a lot of heartache because my investors were not really that upset that we we're having to close a restaurant. They are in the restaurant business themselves. Uh, They had had failures before. Sometimes the site doesn't work and you just move on. My pride, my pride as a man, as a human, was I don't want to lose. I don't want to fail. So I'll hawk my boat. I'll hawk my motorcycle. I'll take my wife's real estate that we've invested in and I'll, I'll continue to fund. I'll continue to sell. I'll continue to liquidate just so I don't fail. And... I took us into bankruptcy. Wow. I mean, we lost it all.
0: Yeah, I think the lesson there is you can get into a tunnel. You can get into a rabbit hole where you're so focused on this one thing. You're so focused on seeing this one thing succeed that, meanwhile, all around you, everything else is failing.
1: Everything. Everything yeah. else everything is everything's failing. Everything's failing. My other managers back in Dallas were like, hey, we don't see you. You're you know, you're know, up there trying to put Band-Aids on that thing. and Or not up there, you're down there because I was in Houston. Uh, so I, I learned that... And I tell restaurants this all the time. When it's not working, shut the thing down. Cut it off and be done with it. Move on. Because the faster you move on, the less money you'll lose. And you can go start making it again. How do you know when it's not working? What's like the biggest... Uh, besides, ob- there's no customers. That yeah, okay. That's the big one. There's okay. no one at, There's no one at the tables. It's <laughs> <laughs> the number one thing. Good point. When there's no butts in the seats. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay.
0: Your thing now, the thing that you're most proud of now, your your baby, is it safe to say is real
1: estate, your your real estate arm? Yes, I think so what I'm working on now still I still consider myself a restaurateur, but my focus is real estate. I either help landlords find tenants to come into their centers, or I help restaurateurs grow their companies and go find them new sites. You're a connector. I'm still a connector. So
0: a lot of people getting into this industry don't necessarily have the the bankroll to hire uh, the right people to get on their team to, to find the real estate. What advice do you have for somebody who's trying to bootstrap this and do it on their own? Uh, what advice do you have for like any nuggets you, that we should know about when we're looking for a real estate? Things that people most often look over when they're trying to do it on their own.
1: So that's a great question. So in Texas, uh, a tenant has the right to be represented. So any rest, any landlord or any other broker, if you're a restaurateur and you're looking. The first thing they should ask you is, hey, are you represented? Do you have a broker? Because, again, you have the right to that in Texas. And most of the time, it doesn't cost the restaurateur any money to be represented because the landlord traditionally pays our fees, which is very odd that the restaurateur is our client, but we're getting paid by the other guy. So it really doesn't cost you anything. Good point. And you want someone on your side to watch out for you, not just negotiate the best deal, but to find the right sites and to make sure the lease terms are right and make sure the guarantees are right. You know, And me having so much experience, good and bad, that I just feel that you know I have a heart for this business and that, that entrepreneur over there that's spending his money and his blood, sweat, and tears You know, I want them to succeed and I'm not going to put someone in a space just for a fee if I think they're going to fail there. So I will do my best to talk Mm -hmm. them out of a site. So you're, you're bringing up the next question, which is
0: what what variables are most overlooked that cause restaurants to fail? One that I see all the time is parking. They see a beautiful location, but they're parking. Oh, oh, we have a huge parking lot, but are you sharing that parking lot with the gym? Because yeah. right or right. grocery store. Or a grocery store, because the peak hours of a gym are the peak hours for a restaurant, like right after work, right? So the parking lot's going to be full. That's just one example. Can you think of any other examples like that that most people just do not consider?
1: Well, a good example of trying to figure out the positive of that, we have a client in San Antonio that's building a really hip, chef-driven, sandwich, American kind of bar but there's a very high-volume grocery store going on in the center, and he is now going to say, hey, I'm going to go after the coffee and donut business in the morning because I have a lot of empty spaces on my side of the shopping center, and I think these people will come into the center and, and spend their money when they normally didn't because they're the grocery customers. So he's actually taken the downside of a shopping center being busy and said, when's it not busy and what can I sell? Mm. Smart.
0: Uh, any other examples that people overlook or uh, gotcha moments where people just like, I did not think of that?
1: I think the gotcha moments are the ones where people say, I've got to be on this corner of Maine and Maine and in Dallas, Texas, when they really need to be looking at first and second in Waxahachie, Texas. Mm-hmm. Where go to a market where you're needed and wanted versus one that's overcrowded. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a market is just too crowded for another wood-burning pizza shop or a taqueria or a hamburger place. Because all those are going to do is cannibalize each other and steal business, which is fine. If you're a beast and you can do it, you know, put the gloves on and go out and capture it. But if you want to really serve the market, find out where you're needed. Find it where you're wanted. And I find that those are the sites where the consumer is so in love with you that they, the, the viral effect of that is they just want to talk and tell everybody. How do you find out where you're needed and where you're wanted? Hire a broker like me. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so one other thing that's coming to my mind right now is, you know... the. The objective, the objective of Restaurant Stoppable is to kind of stay open-minded and just get different perspective because it's my, ju- my job just to collect the information so we can find out what is right for us because mm-hmm. I don't think there's one path that's right. So on the topic of real estate, some people say, hey, like don't rent, own. Other people say, hey... If you're gonna own, know that there's a whole other list of responsibilities that comes with owning a property, like dealing with other tenants. So like you have that that takes a lot of bandwidth. So where do you stand on that buy versus rent scenario?
1: So I think it really comes down to what's your what's the plan what's your business plan, what's your business model. If you if if the model is that we're going to own because that's the way the investors or the money is gonna come to us. Because some investors say, "Look, if we don't own the real estate as a backup to you succeeding or failing, it's your security. It's their security, right?" So that's a lot of times why people want to own because that's where that's how the money is going to be secured.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. In more entrepreneurial situations, especially in this Texas market, leasing is really the way most of it happens. Let's say ninety percent of our clients lease versus own.
0: Why is that, do you think?
1: Just the, ca- the capital needed. Yeah. So if you're going to raise a half a million bucks to open a second generation restaurant, but now you're going to buy a second generation restaurant and the building's a million bucks, where you're going to have to come up with at least 20%. Yeah. So now that capital that you would have put into running your business and building your cool restaurant, you've now put it into a in brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. No, so you have to come up with additional capital. Okay.
0: Where I lean is start as small as possible. Other people say start big because it's the same amount of work to do. And you know, there's there's always like different spectrums, right? And there's not one clear. When I try to chart the path to success in the restaurant industry, my mind
1: just hurts because there's so many variables and so many what ifs, right? I'm uh, still on the path, Eric, that small and busy is better than big and vacant. Why is that your path? Energy that you get the vibe when you walk when a consumer walks into a restaurant or a bar and it's got people in it whether it's 40 seats or or 140 seats if you've got 300 seats and 40 people are in there someone says oh what's wrong with this place well what was wrong with it it was just too big <laughs> The food's still just as good. The service is still just the same. Yeah. It's just there was too much real estate. Yeah,
0: I mean, you, you have to be crushing it to operate at that level. But if you're much smaller, you can sustain in a much more nimble level, right? And you can, it's, there's almost more security in being smaller because you, have, you, you don't have to rely on doing as much business.
1: That's right. So if you need, so again, for me, it goes back to you have to have a plan, mm-hmm. you have to have a business model to benchmark where you need to be. So, if 40 seats at a $25 average check does not make you a living, then you need to adjust it before you start.
0: <laughs> Got you. So, one last thing I wanted you to weigh in on, something that is, is a hot topic in the industry right now, is that there's just too many restaurants. There, there's so many restaurants, you're seeing it go, like real, retail's going away, in uh, and, and, uh uh, what's the word
1: um big box retail is really suffering so I, I think that there's a lot of internet shopping going on and even in the food business but even on small scale small sh- scale retail is going away because people
0: just like the convenience of buying online right do. It, and what you're seeing is uh i mean, what's the, i can't think of the word uh Contractors or developers are looking to put restaurants and food and bre- beverage into this real estate space because it's the only thing that's working today. Yeah, and as a result, we're fucking ourselves because there's too many frigging restaurants. And there's that's what, probably one of the reasons why. Well, the, cha- the
1: challenge on on how it's screwing up the market is we don't have enough workers. So well, that's exactly what so I, was I think the say, number. Yeah. I think in, we'd have to check with the Texas Restaurant Association, but. I think we're 150 thousand workers short right now. And we
0: keep opening
1: restaurants. Right, it's we keep not, opening.
0: Yeah. So, like, what? When are we going to freaking? What are we going to do? Like, what's what's the solution? Are we going to have to tap the brakes a little? Or do you think only the strong will survive, and eventually the weak no, start the, falling off?
1: The the weak always falls off. Mm-hmm. So, so the, it's, the market will cleanse itself. So basically, the, the weaker is going to fall off at a faster. Absolutely. Rate. If you are not willing to pay a dishwasher ten bucks an hour. Don't get in the business. Yeah. Because it is not a minimum wage starting salary any longer. Yeah. So the rest, It is at a really important job.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the restaurants that provide the most value to the, the customer that they are willing to pay the, the, the premium prices because they feel like the value is there are going to be able to pay their people the most. And that's where every. You've got to be the,
1: able to pay the premium in labor mm-hmm. if you're going to sell a $13 margarita. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to charge 13 bucks for a margarita, you should be ready to pay yeah. your dishwasher 10 bucks. So, you know, a lot of people say, you know, find out what your margin is, find out what
0: you need to make, what you think you're worth, and don't settle for that margin and use that money to get the best people on your team to develop the best culture so you can attract yourself because if you that's where it starts. If you have the best, if you have the best culture, the best people, mm-hmm. you will get the, the best customers in and they will be loyal to you, but it starts by being able to have access to that capital in the first place so you can Pay your people and, and get the best, right?
1: You've got to be, you've got to have dry powder to pay people.
0: Any other thing you want to add to that topic of this, the current economic situation with restaurant
1: and real estate? Do your homework before you come to a market, because you might find that that market is overcrowded, and especially if you're coming from out of town, if you're coming from another state or another community, you are not going to be the first choice to work for. Mm -hmm. So be cautious of that. Got you.
0: Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Any any topic, anything at all you want to bring to the table before we go to the speed round?
1: If you're not passionate about this, don't do it. Why is that so important? We are around people 24-7 in this business. So if you are not... A servant to your community, a servant to your staff, and don't have a love for this industry, you are going to do yourself, you're going to drive yourself crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. I have loved this conversation. I wrap up every uh, free flowing portion of the conversation by, not every, but recently I've been asking this question because the mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So I want to know how have you transformed? Who are you today? Who is the man you are
1: today versus the man you were when you got into this industry? Wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a Sunday morning church. Question. <laughs> I think my, I think my faith and my trust in God has gotten a lot stronger than when I first started. I trusted me and only me. And I now know that there's a higher power that has bigger plans for me than just what I wanted to do for myself.
0: So how has that served you? How has that specifically served you?
1: Well, I think it's served me in a a few different ways of saying you might want to focus on four people instead of 400 people, because you can have a bigger impact on the four than you were having on the 400 brother. You're singing to my heart right now. (laughs) So, uh, and it's a season of life, but, that's, I think that's where you know, God has taken me in, in my life to say, look, I got a new, you got a new chapter here, mm-hmm. and I need you to go work on this new chapter.
0: Jeffrey, thank you for that. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be back in just a few moments. Everybody loves Payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first 3 months free again that's gusto.com/unstoppable that you love the most about Rebel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Networking.
0: What is your biggest weakness?
1: Not saying no fast enough.
0: What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process?
1: Tell me stories versus giving me answers. Why? I find that when people share stories, they are more open about the truth in their soul than they are when they, they were just give yes or no answers to questions.
0: I love it. What is
1: your current biggest challenge? Getting tasks done with very little support and not enough capital.
0: And how are you dealing with it?
1: Emotionally or fiscally? Just how are you (laughs) making it happen? What's your strategy? I'm working my ass off to make a lot of money so I can hire hire an assistant. (laughs) I got you. Uh, Share one
0: code of conduct or behavior you teach your team.
1: No lying, no stealing, period. What's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? If you know that something's not going to pair well with a dish, give them something you know is going to, hmm. whether it's wine or cocktail. I love it. What is one book we must read to make, become a
0: better person or a restaurant operator?
1: Richest Man in Babylon.
0: What was your biggest lesson from that book?
1: Save money. Hmm.
0: What's one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Signing with a exclusive real estate broker. Okay. And what is one technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge influence on operations, communications, uh, profitability, anything along
1: those lines? And The iPhone itself. <laughs> what's your- Just having that tool with your staff to pre-shift to say, hey, guys, come out and see me tonight. I've got this great piece of salmon I'm doing. Or, hey... I've got this new Pappy that just came in and come drink some of it with me. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the
0: memories of you, your work, working, your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you know to be true uh, for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be?
1: The first one's trusting God. Know there's a higher power that's looking out for you. Work hard. Having a group of like-minded entrepreneurs and restaurateurs that group of people that you could go to to ask any questions and not be judged just knowing that someone out there has an answer for you
0: jeffrey Yarbrough, i've loved this conversation thank you Eric.
1: thank you so much for taking the time to share your story knowledge and mentorship
0: we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out who's one person you respect and admire
1: and believe would make a great guest mentor like you have made for us today I think when you go down to Houston, you should call on Charles Clark. He's worked his way up from uh, serving in the front of the house to being a restaurateur and chef that owns multiple units. He does Italian food. He does French food. He does seafood. He and his partner, Grant, are just great restaurateurs and entrepreneurs.
0: Charles and Grant, look out! I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know.
1: How can we connect with you? How can we follow your work? How can we hire you for your services? Oh, thank you, thank you. So uh, Jeffrey at Big Inc R E B I G I N K R E dot com, and uh, really, if you need help looking for sites for real estate, if you want to expand and grow your operation, or you're a startup and you want you just want help on how to get into the restaurant business, call me. I'd love to help people and um if you're if you've got a piece of land out there or old restaurant that you need a tenant in, call me and I'll see if I can find the right person for you to go in there and Make your center even better. And just head over to the show notes. Uh, I'll have a summary of today's discussion.
0: I'll link to all the tools, resources, books recommended, and how to connect with J- J- Jeffrey in the show notes. Just uh, All right. Again, Jeffrey, just thank you so much. I would not be able to do what I do without people like you. And there is no questioning you are unstoppable. Gracias. Cheers.